So, uh, I wanted to give a shir this week uh, in honor of uh, Yom Atzmaut, which is being celebrated tomorrow. And even though there are many, many important topics and many different things that one could discuss in conjunction with Yom Atzmaut, I wanted to kind of approach it, so to speak, from the side. That is to say, not speak about Yom Atzmaut, important as it is, or controversial as it is in certain circles, can you make a holiday? Do you make Hallel? What about music? And all those kinds of things. And can there be a, a holiday if, there, if the government was led by secular Jews? These are all interesting topics. You're all familiar with them one, to one extent or another, and they all deserve you know, serious, serious thought. But for today, I want to avoid all of that. And I want to just discuss something which is in and of itself not politically controversial, but hashkafically and therefore almost emotionally can sometimes lead to its own kind of heated uh, debates, one of which I actually overheard uh, not that long ago, which is based on the following thing, just to posit something which I think as a mitziut is not controversial, but that, that leads to the topic which I think is important and potentially controversial, and that is as follows. Um, if there wouldn't be a state of Israel, almost none of us, or perhaps maybe more uh, confidently, I can say none of us would actually live here. In other words, there always were Jews who lived in Israel under uh, foreign governments. But let's be honest, what everyone thinks hashkafically about the, the state of Israel, the reason that any of us chose to live here is because there's a Jewish state which we know supports us, defends us, has built up a pretty good country, you know, there are problems with the post office, there's problems with this and that and the other. But basically, it's not that radically a different lifestyle that we were used to. None of us would be here otherwise. Now, I think that is just a fact. I don't think there's any point even in, in arguing that. But my point is not to stress that fact. But given that, given that, we're all here. What impact does being here, there's an extra source sheet if you want, uh, what impact does being here have on our lives? Now, again, that's like almost an existential, profound question. We could have an evening where we all get around in a circle and we talk about what it means to live in Israel. I don't mean that, although that's, again, also worthwhile. What I mean is, from our avodas Hashem, from our actual um, relationship with Hashem, what does it mean to be here? Now, even that, you could talk about how it's inspiring, and you know, sometimes on a Friday I just run off to Kevarachal to Davin, and I can go to the Kotel, and even just being on Tiulim and walking where Avraham walked, all true and all good. But I don't even mean that. I mean something very specific about actual mitzvos, Right? A good example is Shemitah, right? This year we're in the Shemitah year. So obviously, you can't compare what experiencing Shemitah, living in Israel, is if we lived anywhere else. And there's Trumos and Maestros and those kind of things. So when we talk about mitzvot that relate to the soil, the land of Israel in that most granular sense, it's obvious and controversial that, of course, living in Israel makes a huge difference. But now we're ready for what I actually want to talk about, which is, is that all it is? Is there an impact of living in Eretz Yisrael on all of the other mitzvahs which we do and we would have done anyway because we can do? Is our kibbutz of aim different when we do it in Eretz Yisrael? Is our Shabbos candles different when we do it in Eretz Yisrael? Is our kashras, is our chesed? Is there any reason to think that doing mitzvahs in Israel is different and to be more blunt, superior to doing the very same mitzvah outside of Israel? Now that is not remotely an obvious proposition or thesis, but that's what I would like to discuss. Take a look at your source sheet. The first four sources, we're not even going to read them all inside for the sake of time. I'll be very conscious of time uh, today because of the siren. Um, but the first four sources are just examples from Sefer Dvarim, in which surprisingly, surprisingly in the sense that it's not intuitive or inherently logical, the Torah in each of these places 
connects generic, general mitzvah observance with the Jewish people coming into the land of Israel. Just to read the first pasuk, talking about the chukim and mishpatim, that I will command you to do when? Lasos kein bekeref haaretz. This is the mitzvah that you will do in Israel, that you're bayim shamal rishtab, which you will inherit. In some form or another, that phrase and that concept gets repeated. Again, just four examples, there probably are more I could have found, in all of these psukim. Now, you might say, well, you know, the desert was a transitory stage, and therefore Sefer Tavarim is the Sefer that is about to have the Jewish people enter Eretz Yisrael. Fair enough, that's true. Uh, but nevertheless, if you would have asked me, after Matan Torah, which mitzvot should in any way be impacted by the fact, negatively, that they weren't in Eretz Yisrael? I would have thought, just okay, well, there's no Shemitah in the desert, and there's not going to be Arla in the desert, maybe, or Trumos, but... You wouldn't have made any other mitzvah contingent. Again, pre-Matan Torah is its own status, but not after Matan Torah. You have, you know, 40, almost 40 years after Matan Torah, they're still in the desert. Yeah, the Torah keeps on mentioning about how mitzvahs for when you get to Eretz Yisrael. Again, if this is all I had, I don't know if I'd have much, but it's a little bit, you know, it raises our kind of, a little bit. It seems to be a non sequitur each time it comes up. Why we keep on making mitzvahs, generic, general mitzvahs, contingent on coming into the land of Israel. So, to me, that should already get our radar up. If you take a look at source number five, I want to focus now on two more sources in the Chumash, specifically uh, a, a section later, uh, earlier, excuse me, in Dvarim, and then uh, also in previously that we read in Vayikra, actually from a parsha that we just read, uh, well, if you were in Eretz Yisrael for Pesach two weeks ago, and if you're in Chutz Laaretz listening to this on a recording uh, last week in Parshas Achremos. If you take a look at source number five, uh, in, from Dvarim and Parakian Aleph. So here is where Hashem, the Torah, warns us, uh, not in the more positive, uplifting sense, get, it's going to be great, you're going to go to Israel, you're going to do the mitzvot. We just saw four of those psukim. But specifically in source number five, the pasuk is, make, is letting you know, it's warning you, that the stakes of non-observance in Israel are quite serious. As the Torah says in source number 5, in the initial psukim, you know what happened to the non-Jews who used to live here, to the seven nations, the land spit them out. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, I confused. That, that was source number 8, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We'll get to that pasuk in a second, I'm sorry. Uh, if, in source number 5, it talks about the contingents of not keeping the mitzvos, and what will happen, God forbid, if we don't keep the mitzvos? In source number 5, where it's underlined, second line, V'yavadatem meherem el arta tovah shashem nosein lachem. You, Hashem will kick you out of the land. There'll be gullus, right? Now, it was, you know, an, uh, it was a hypothetical threat when the Torah was given, but of course we know this happened twice in our history already, in the Chorban Bayes Rishon and the Chorban Mayesheni. Now again, even of itself, per se, you know, why should that have been the punishment, right? There's other ways, you know, it seems again, mitzobservance connected to being in the land, non-observance, very much the punishment focused again on the land, but what I want to focus your attention on specifically is there seems to be a complete non-sequitur in the continuation. Because the very next few psukim, after talking about first golus, then the, you're going to get kicked out of the land if you don't keep the mitzvot, then the next two psukim speak about what? Pasuk Yudchet, there in source number five. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the mitzvot tefillin. Below that, then you have a little bit of Talmud Torah, Pasuk Yutet, Pasuk Chaf, Amazuzos Beisecha, the mitzvah Amazuzah, and then Pasuk Chaf Aleph, but don't worry, the good news is, if you do the mitzvahs, you can come back. So there's references to kind of golos, tefillin, mezuzah, geula. What does the tefillin and the mezuzah doing there in the middle have to do with anything? A total, it just, you know, 
you don't have to be the most literary sensitive uh, to be following this uh, and realize that there just seemed to be something out of place. What is going on? So that kind of you know, surprising insertion of these mitzvahs leads to the key source around which our entire shear will pivot. And that is an incredibly famous, controversial, and then the question is how to understand it, medrash in source number six. This we're going to read together slowly because this is the key around which everything else pivots. This is the Medrash in the Torah's Kohanim, otherwise known as the Sifrei. Source number six, there in Devarim on Parshas Ekev. So the Medrash is obviously bothered by the point that I just pointed, at, you know, noted. That there seems to be some you know, hard-to-understand uh, theme uh, and you know, connection between Avadat and Mehera. You know, if you don't keep all the Torah, Hashem's going to kick you out of the land. And then all of a sudden mentioning things like mezuzah and tefillin. What is going on? Says the Medrash in the underlying part, source number six. Yes, if you don't keep the mitzvahs, Hashem promises and He's going to keep His word, I will punish you and I will kick you out of the land. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, even when you're out of Israel, when you're in Golis, still keep the mitzvahs so that you can be, so to speak, identifiable. Right? You're still identifiable, your mitzuyanim, it still identifies you with mitzvos, such that when eventually, hopefully you'll do tshuva, or in my infinite mercy, I'll just return you for geula, it won't be like, you know, you took off uh, a few years and you won't know what you're doing. Just as a brief example, I think in a previous year, in a different context, I mentioned that uh, 20, what was it, seven or eight summers ago, uh, I met my wife when we were doing Kirov in the former Soviet Union. Right? And the whole emergence of that whole Kirov movement and things like YUSSR, which is what I was on, was based on the idea that for 70 plus years there was forced atheism and you had multiple generations of families that had been religious for who knows how long. But then they took off 70 years and people didn't know anything. It's not, it's no one's, it's not their fault. They didn't know anything. That's Bimikra, that it's being forced on by you know, non-Jewish enemies. But the Medrash is saying it's just a reality. If you, if you don't keep the mitzvos, then even if eventually you'll come back, you'll be, you know, to put it mildly, you'll be rusty. So in the essence, the Medrash is saying, keep the mitzvos even after Avavadot HaMehera. Why is Tzfilin and Mezuzah, again, he doesn't mention the word Tzfilin and Mezuzah in, in the Medrash itself. We'll see that in a second in Rashi. But why, or do we have some reference to all of a sudden mezuzah, uh, mitzvos, like Mezuzah and Tzfilin, after this threat of Golis? to tell you that you should keep the mitzvos even when you're not in Israel. And why should you keep the mitzvos in New York and in London and in Melbourne? Why? So that you don't kind of forget them, so that when you come back, you'll still know what you're doing. The Medrash gives a mashal, very beautiful mashal. The king and the, and the queen got in a big fight. And uh, unlike, I guess, uh, like Vashti, who really was the royalty, although it still didn't work out well for her, I guess the king had the upper hand, and he banishes uh, his wife, the queen, uh, to her parents' house. Uh, but he tells her, even when you're in your parents' house, even though we're in a big fight, you should nevertheless have him kushetet b'tachshitech. Still dress like a queen, still remember you're the queen. Why? Because eventually we'll get back together, and then when you'll come back to me, lo yelecha chadashim. I don't want you to forget what it means to be the queen. So even when you're outside the house, even outside the palace, I should say, act like a queen. So too, kachamar kodesh baruch Yisrael. My children, be mitzuyonim be mitzvos. Still be noticeable, identifiable, keep the mitzvos even when you're in Golos. Shekishetachzru, lo yeh aleichem chadashim. You should still, 
you know, what you're doing, it shouldn't be completely new. You shouldn't need, you know, a Kirov camp to teach you how to daven again and how to put on tefillin again and how to uh, write a mezuzah again because you'll have kept it. You didn't take off a few hundred or a few thousand years as the case uh, may be. And this is, and then this allusion is alluded to, uh, the phrase, uh, well-known phrase in the Navi Yirmiya, right, of Hatibi Tziyunim, Mitzvos, which Jewish people can be identifiable with, uh, can keep, uh, so to speak, their identity. That is the Medrash. I just want to read the paraphrase of Rashi. Rashi on the Pasuk, there are the paraphrases the, the Medrash. I thought it was important to see the Medrash in its original source. Rashi in source number seven paraphrases this and says, even after you'll be sent into Golos, nevertheless, you should keep the Mitzvos. And here Rashi explicitly states, which is not in the Medrash, Hinichu Tfilin, or Asu Mezuzos, Etc. Now, the reason it's important that Rashi specifies the tefillin and the mezuzos is if you wanted to, and I think you might have wanted to, uh, some might have wanted to intuitively and logically, when you just read the metrish, you might have thought maybe you could have twisted yourself into a pretzel that this is limited to the type of mitzvahs which we usually identify with Israel. You know, maybe you should play and pretend to keep Truman Meiser and uh, Chala and who knows what in Chutzlaret so that when you come back. But like, whoever had a Havamina, why would I ever have thought that I wouldn't have kept other mitzvahs? Right? So you might have twisted yourself into a pretzel to deny that. But at, le- at least in Rashi's understanding of the Medrash, and pretty much everyone follows Rashi after this, it wasn't limited to those few mitzvahs. Even things like Tzulun and Mezuzah, which seemingly have nothing to do with the land of Israel. Nevertheless, why do you keep them when you're in Tinek? And when you're in Borough Park even? Muncie? So that you don't forget them when you'll come back, you know what you're doing when you come back to Eretz Yisrael. So there's two obvious points that need to be made uh, here. Number one is, if the Medrash feels the need to tell me, keep mitzvos, even when you're in the Diaspora, why did the Medrash feel the need to tell me this? Evidently, if the Medrash hadn't told me this, it would have been very reasonable, very plausible to think that the Mitzvahs didn't apply outside of the land of Israel. Now, it, it's not true. The Medrash says it's not true. But evidently, it would have been enough of a reasonable thought, a very reasonable havamin, as we say, that the Medrash needs to tell me, no, no, you should still do it. But it's more than that. Now that the Medrash got around to telling me that it's not crazy to think that mitzvahs shouldn't apply in New York, that the Torah should only apply in Israel, that's not crazy. Kamash Milan, it does even apply in New York, and it does even apply in Melbourne. But when it applies, what did the Medrash say? Do the mitzvahs because they're inherently meaningful in New York? Or just like little kids have like a tea party, and there's the Shabbos Ima and the Shabbos Abba, right? So that, you know, they, and what, again, aside from, you know, maybe a teacher just wanting to kill some time, but in theory, what's the educational purpose of a model Seder or all these other things? So that when kids you know, grow older, or when they, they'll know what to do. So you can be the Shabbos Abba for the next few hundred years until eventually you come back to Israel and you know how to keep Shabbos. And you... Wow. Whoa, 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 whoa. Aren't you happy you live here? Is that, that's what the Medrash said, right? I think. Now, before we try to really you know, piece this together and uh, really understand it... Um, a few more things. Even though this is really a medrash, and it's really a Rashi, it's most famous, I'm not sure why, as the opinion of the Ramban. Just over Pesach, in my own broader family, there was a very spirited discussion uh, between two members of the family about this idea. Uh, and they kept on arguing about 
but is it only the Ramban, or do we agree with the Ramban, and is the Ramban right? And uh, I was not part of that conversation, but when they tried to drag me into it, uh, one of my only comments was, it's not just the Ramban, it's also Rashi, and even more importantly than Rashi, it's the Medrash, which is even more authoritative. But for whatever reason, it is well known as the opinion of the Ramban, and the Ramban speaks about this in two places, both in the Sukkim that we just saw from Devarim uh, and Ekev, but also, as I mentioned, from Achremos, which we just read recently. In source number 8, the Sukkim talk about, this is what I was referring to before mistakenly, but this is the correct re- reference I was making to before, how the non-Jews were spit out of the land of Israel because they lived immorally. And that's not a, uh, a racial uh, or discriminatory point. It's good for the goose, it's good for the gander, says the Pesukim continuing there in Pesach Chavches. So to you, I'm giving you, the Jewish people, the land of Israel, but it's contingent. If you live a moral life and a religious life and you keep the mitzvot, great. But if you don't, what's going to happen to you? The same thing that happened to the seven nations. The land will be taki ha'aretz etchem. The land will spit you out also. So again, we see this very strong connection between mitzvot not just, you know, Shemitah, mitzvot, and living in the land of Israel. So commenting on that, the Ramban, even though that's in Vayikra, and the Medrash is not until Devarim, but nevertheless, the Ramban in source number 9 quotes the Medrash, and if you take a look on the third line, says the Medrash, what do you see from here? Ki ikr kol mitzvot liyoshvim be'eret Yisrael. The point of mitzvot is to be observed when you're in the land of Israel. And then, again, there's no shortage of, I, would have, I could have spent uh, the next week just going through sources that we have in general about the importance of living in Eretz Yisrael. But one specific source, which the Ramban quotes uh, in the line below, is that Yeshivas Eretz Yisrael, Shekula Keneged Kol Mitzvah Shabbat Torah. That somehow, in some metaphysical way, the mitzvah of living in Eretz Yisrael is equal and equivalent to the mitzvah of all the other mitzvahs. Now, you might have said that that means that it's so important that you put it on a scale, it equals the 612 other mitzvahs. But at least, I think what the Ramban might be suggesting is something more subtle. That because all mitzvahs are basically ultimately only for Israel, so every mitzvah is better when you're doing it in Israel, and therefore, Mamela, the mitzvah, Israel equals all the other mitzvahs. Not just because being in Israel itself is the mitzvah, but it, it supercharges every other mitzvah. Your Kibbutz of Aim is better, your Shabbos is better, your Kashrus is better. Amazingly, and then last but not least in source number 9, the Ramban connects this to a very famous theory of his. Those of you who study Tanakh and specifically Sefer Bereshis are no doubt familiar with this. The Ramban's famous theory that he refers to in Parshas Toldos, I think, but here he quotes it as well, that the Avos and Imahos, they kept the whole Torah, even though the Torah hadn't been given yet, but on some level they intuited it, but only when they lived in Israel. When they were outside of Israel, they didn't have to keep the Torah. So Ramban says this is all connected, because the ultimate purpose of Torah is only when you're in Eretz Yisrael. So if the Torah was given at Sinai, so we just saw from the Medrash, you know, you could have a tea party, you could play Shabbos Abba and Shabbos Mami, and keep the mitzvahs anyway in Brooklyn. But the Avos, before Matan Torah. So it was only if there was an ultimate purpose. And the ultimate purpose was only when they were living in Eretz Yisrael. The Ramban repeats this again in source number 9, and he refers to it as a sod amok, a deep secret. He doesn't really explain it more than that, but that's what the Ramban says. So this is famous as the Ramban, but we're now more educated than we were 20 minutes ago. We now know it's not only the Ramban, it's really a Rashi, and even before Rashi, it's really the Medrash. The question now before us for the remainder of the year is, what does this really mean? Right? The way I've kind of presented it, I don't think I oversold it, but I definitely put my foot a little bit on the scale. Um, certainly a very plausible reading of this. It sounds very much 
like there is not that much purpose of doing mitzvahs outside of the land of Israel. Um, you might even have thought it's not really even obligatory. It's just kind of uh, for fun or for practice. Just so you know, you want you don't want you want you know. It's it's like somebody who um, I don't know. It's like somebody. Uh, I know some people, you know, they retire, they move to Florida for six months a year, and when they're in Florida, you know, they, they play a lot of tennis. But then they went back up to the Northeast, you know, for the summer, so they don't have, you know, they still get it coached. They want to, you know, stay a little bit once a week to play tennis, that when they go back to Florida in December, they're not rusty. Uh, that's all mitzvahs are when you're living uh, in Chutzlaretz? Is that, really, is, is that what the Medrash meant? Why would the Medrash think that there's no obligation had to tell me? Why would I have thought you don't have to keep kosher in, in America? It's all, ironically, it's the, this whole topic is the reverse of some of the very early uh, secular Zionists who argued that mitzvahs were only for Golis. That we need mitzvahs when we're Nebuch in Kiev and in the Lodge because how else are we not going to get assimilated? But the new Jew, when they'll come back to Israel and live in their homeland, then they're going to throw away the tefillin. The Medrash is literally the opposite. It sounds like the only purpose of mitzvahs is here and it's uh, nothing really there. You know, how literal and how extreme should we take this medrash? You know, it's, in terms of our appreciation of being here, it's somewhat consequential for us. It's even more consequential for the people living or for when we travel. You know, is it really, you know, is it such a big deal if I miss davening when I'm uh, visiting my relatives in New York? Yes, in case you don't pay attention the rest of this year. Uh, but, like, what do we take from this? Like, how far do you go with this? Um, and is it true? Does everyone accept this? I mean, just because the Rashi and the Ramban say it doesn't mean everyone has to agree to it. So what I want to do for the remainder of this year is share with you basically two broad approaches. I think that there is a more literal, more extreme view uh, that exists. But I also think uh, maybe uh, someone will disprove me or maybe in future years I'll do more research and I'll come to a different conclusion. But my tentative conclusion is the more literal, more extreme approach is the minority approach. I think that almost everyone does accept this medrash. Um, as I was telling the family, my relatives who were passionately discussing this uh, at the Yontif table uh, over Pesach, it's a medrash halacha, no one argues. So it would, be, it would be surprising if people just rejected it. The real question is, what does it mean? So there is a more literal extreme view, and then I think there is a more moderate uh, view, although it, the moderate view is also very powerful, and I think, personally, I think that is the majority view, and I think we'll see some very inspiring and very powerful sources. So first, uh, in the spirit of full transparency and intellectual honesty, let's few, see a few examples of what I call the more minority and more extreme view. Okay? If you take a look, for example, uh, I want to spend most of our time on the other sources, so these I'll just briefly dot uh, outside. Source number 10 is a tshuva from the Radvaz. The Radvaz was one of the great, great poskim, primarily lived in Egypt, uh, was kind of the end of the Rishonim or the beginning of the Achronim, kind of depending on where you draw the line. Um, and he was asked specifically about this Rashi. You know, inquiring minds want to know. You know, when Jews were literate, you know, in Chumash Rashi and, uh, and in Medrash, you know, people didn't just ask the rabbi what to do if they, you know, put the wrong spoon in the coffee. You know, people sometimes come to the rabbi and say, how do I understand this Rashi? How do I understand this Chazal? People even ask the God of that question. And, you know, this is a very powerful Rashi, and they're living not in Israel when they ask the question. Come on, Rabbi, do I really, why are you giving me so much Musr? Didn't the Rashi say, I don't really have to keep the mitzvahs? And so? It's just for, I, I did fill in enough, don't worry, when Hashem will be back to Israel, I know how to put it on. Right? I don't know if that's actually how it was asked, but you know, I, I have a vivid imagination. So um, it's possible at least. So says the Radvaz, the source number 10, he actually says, on the one hand, yes, 
the Medrash is saying something very extreme that really, 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 there is no point to the mitzvos other than not to forget. Don't get rusty. But he limits that significantly. That is, the Medrash only applies in very narrow circumstances. It doesn't apply every minute in every situation you live outside of Israel. When it applies, it's extreme. But when does it apply? So he says, specifically, uh, if you take a look on the third line, it's specifically referring to situations in which you're living in an oppressive environment. It's not just gullus. You know, again, almost all of us, right, or maybe probably literally all of us, you know, our version of gullus is like, you know, Woodbury Commons and, you know, fighting over whether the government gives us more money for busing or less. You know, we lived in the golden of gullus. Not what our bubbies in our Zadis had, right? For most of Jewish history, gullus didn't just mean you didn't live in Israel. It meant you were hoping not to get killed or blood libeled or whatever. So says the Radvaz, when you're in a situation in which the Gaim are so, so oppressive, not, not all the time, there have been very nice non-Jews over the centuries, but unfortunately Jewish history is filled with a lot of not nice uh, host countries. When they're making it impossible to fill mitzvos, and you might have thought, I should be potter, if it's, uh, it's Onus Rahman Apatre. What am I supposed to do? They don't let me. If I'd be in Israel and I had religious autonomy, of course I'd keep the mitzvos. But they're persecuting me, maybe I should be potter. So the answer is, says Radvaz, yeah, per se you are putter. But still try to figure out a way to do it anyway, so that when you come back, you'll know what you're doing. You won't have gotten too rusty. So yes, the Medrash means what it seems to say, but only if you're in a really extreme and dire circumstance. Okay, turn over the page. The Maharal, the famed Maharal Prague, source number 11. He says what may be, in certain sense, the most extreme, in my opinion. Maybe this will be the one that we'll read uh, inside. Uh, he says, if you remember, I mentioned that the Ramban says that he has a very deep secret. So says the Gur Aryeh, top line, Vani Agale Hasod. I'm going to tell you the secret. You don't, tell, you don't share a secret with the Maral if you want it to, you know. I think, uh, I think it was Ramosha Weinberger I once heard. He had the great line, you know, when it comes to Jews, a secret is something you tell one person at a time. That's how we are with secrets. Okay, so the Maharal, if you tell him a secret, he's going he's to share it with everybody. So says the Maharal, you know what the Ramban means? Look at the, I mean, the, the Medrash, the Ramban, the Rashi, look at the end of the second line. Lo yishmru He says it. There is no inherent purpose or value to keeping mitzvahs out of Israel. As far as I see, I think this is the most extreme line I found. You, there really is no purpose. After all, and he quotes Psukim, how God is referred to as the Lokei Haaretz, really Hashem, the Torah, it's really meant for Israel. Aval, im lo nasan Hashem yizbarach, yishmur ha-mitzvot v'chutz l'aretz, v'shikaimu osam kama b'aretz, hayibvom l'aretz, achar kach nesina chadasha. What will happen? You'll be, whether it's 70 years in the first Chorban, 2,000 plus years in the second Chorban, you're going to forget. And then what would happen when you come back to Israel? There's going to have to be a new Har Sinai, a new giving of the Torah. We need to do a mass cure of campaign to teach everyone the Torah again. So says Maral, that can happen. Because an axiomatic, you know, metaphysical rule of life is that there's only one Matan Torah. Only one Har Sinai. We're not going to have two Matan Torahs. We're not going to go through a whole, as he says right before the three dots, there's one giving in the Torah of Loshtei Pamim. Technically speaking, you got to do it. Just again, keep your tennis game up, even when you're uh, back in New York for the summer. But it's really all about, you know, playing in Deerfield, uh, you know, in, in, in the winter. Hamei v'nyavin. 
Okay? And if, and if not, you're okay. Uh, anyway, so um, he says it. He really says, again, it's really, 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 there's no point. But no, you got to do it, so at least you'll know what to do when you come back. That's a moral. The Beis HaLevi in source number 12 also says it in a very extreme way, but he limits it to just tefillin. I couldn't find if he discusses mezuzah also, the way Rashi did, but at least with tefillin he points out the whole purpose of tefillin is, he says, to tether and to to bind a person's commitments to Hashem. We put it on our arm as if to say all my actions will be bound by the Torah. We put it over our head to say all my thoughts will be bound by the Torah. Okay, so there's something specifically about the meaning of tefillin. He says, but to be mashabed, milashon shibud, to bind yourself, to be in the servitude of Hashem, is the purpose of tefillin. As he says there in source number 12, in the middle, he says, but that doesn't really work when we're mashuabadim ba'avdus l'umas ha'olam. Again, but we're in Golos, how are you supposed to keep the meaning? How are you supposed to really feel, oh, I'm an Evet Hashem. If you're an Evet to the Cossacks, if you're an Evet to the Nazis, if you're an Evet to the Romans, if you're an Evet to the Babylonians, to the Persians, you know, the communists, Nebuch, the Ein Sof of the examples. So he says, specifically when it comes to Tefillin, where the whole purpose is to feel that I am completely under the, you know, obligations of Hashem, how can a person really feel that when they're on Golis? Whether they're actually persecuting us. Or as he says, the Dochak of Parnassah. You know, how am I supposed to... I, I, all I can think about is where I'm going to get the next bread and the next food. So with tefillin, since the whole purpose was something which you can't honestly say you really feel when you don't have autonomy, when you're not in Israel, when you don't have religious freedom. So you might have thought there's no purpose of tefillin outside of Israel. Kamash Mulan, put tefillin on anyway so you remember how to do it. You, know, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't want to be one of those people at the hotel, you know, where the guy, the, where the, the guy with the cardboard keeper is helping you, you know, pull on. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Yeah, keep, keep feeling uh, all the time you're in Los Angeles and in, uh, in London so that you'll actually know what to do. So on the one hand, he says it very literally. On the other hand, he seems to limit it just to tefillin. You know, maybe that works with Rashi. The Medrash didn't limit it to tefillin. Ramban didn't limit it to tefillin. But, okay, I'm giving you three examples, three very holy Jews Right, uh, you have Besalevi, the Maharal, the Radvaz, who do seem to take a pretty extreme view, but even those three with very narrow, again, other than the Maharal, who seems to really say the most extreme. Okay? But nevertheless, with all that said, um, I don't think that this is the majority view. And it's not one that really speaks to me, to be honest. Yes, please. Is there a difference in Eretz Israel whether we have autonomy or not? So uh, that is a fantastic question. Um, is there a religious significance? To living, I'm not discussing the practicalities of life, but there's a religious significance to Jews having autonomy. The short answer to that is yes. And there's a Rambam, and there's other sources that talk about that in Hanukkah and in other places. Um, but if you're asking specifically in this context, like would the Beis HaLevi say, if you're living in Eretz Yisrael, but the British are, or the Ottomans, it's an open question. It's a, it's, a very good, it's a very good question. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, in, in his words, I don't know. But I want to focus the rest of our attention, um, we have about 20 plus minutes left, on what I consider the, the majority view. Um, and I think it's still very powerful, but I think it's more moderate. And I think if we understand it, uh, it, it'll help us in a very, very meaningful well. I just want to tell the people of Zoom that I'm using like the free version now, so we're going to get uh, disconnected in like uh, six minutes. But I'm, I'm happy to restart the Zoom, and if you want to rejoin, I'll be happy to have you rejoin. Um, so take a look at the source sheet. Uh, in source number 13, uh, you have the beginning of what I would consider to be the majority view. 
And this actually starts with two Rishonim who were students of the Ramban uh, in one form or another. Uh, Rabbeinu Bachaye in his commentary to the Torah, and then the Rajba. And I think, I don't think I'm reading too much into Rabbeinu Bachaye, even though he doesn't say that much, but I think this is what he means, similar to the other sources, I think they're all consistent. Says Rabbeinu Bachaye, when he quotes this idea of the Medrash, Ein Iker Asiyasan, Ela Be'eretz HaKadosha. Now I want to emphasize, and I hope I'm not reading too much into this, the word Iker. The primary performance of the mitzvot is only in Eretz Yisrael. So the way I said that, what is it? You're, you're all intelligent. What do you infer from that? Right. It's not the. Pri- it may not be the ultimate or the primary right. location, but it doesn't mean it's not obligatory. It doesn't even mean it's not meaningful. It's just not the ultimate purpose or meaning. I think that is what he's saying. If you take a look, for example, in source number fourteen, again from the Rishonim, you have the Rajba. And the Rajba uh, says, uh, again, he quotes some of these psukim that do seem to focus God's attention on the land of Israel, Nachlas Hashem, Elokei Ha'aretz, and then says the Rajba something interesting. Iker mitzvah satorah, kulan ba'aretzain. Emphasize the word kulan. The, the main purpose of all mitzvos, kibbet aveim and kashros and Shabbos candles and the rest, the main location for that is in Israel. And how do I know this? He did something very, very clever. We, until now, had separated the two categories. The mitzvos, which are what we call tuluyos baaretz, the soil-based mitzvos of trumos and maestros and shemitah. Oh, obviously, those are connected to Israel. And then we put that over on the side, and we said, what about all the other mitzvos? The Rashba says something very powerful and something very brilliant. He says, don't separate the two categories. The very fact that we have even a concept called X number of mitzvos are limited to the land of Israel, to the soil of Israel, in and of itself indicates that that very land, that location, is the ultimate place for all other 600 or 500 or whatever mitzvos. In other words, instead of seeing it as two different categories, he sees all mitzvos as on one Continuum. In one category. It's in a continuum. So for whatever the reason, uh, these are mysteries known maybe only to Hashem, certain mitzvos are so connected to Israel, you can't even do them outside. And then a whole other group of mitzvos, follow me carefully, are so connected to Israel, that you don't have the full meaning outside of Israel. So they're not as much as the first category, but it's, it's, it's a question of degree. But it's all on one continuum. The very fact that there's a concept, which we take for granted, of certain mitzvahs being connected to the land, mitzvah atuis baretz, in and of itself is a siman, it is an indication, it teaches us something about all the other mitzvahs. Now that's not how we were thinking about this at the beginning of this year. But that's the Rajbah's unique insight. That that very fact that there could be a notion of certain mitzvahs only in Israel, that actually doesn't just tell us about those mitzvahs, it tells us about all of the mitzvahs. Now, if you put these two sources together, what I think they're saying... Um, I kind of already said it, but I'll, I'll sharpen it in like halachic language and make sure we all understand it. What I think that they're saying is, from the perspective of obligation of chiyuv, the chiyuv in Brooklyn is exactly the same as the chiyuv in Bnei Brak. But from the perspective of the ultimate accomplishment, the kiyum ha-mitzvah, the ultimate ikr ha as they said, the ikr ha-tachlit, 
of the mitzvah is in Beit Shemesh. And in Boston, there is meaning. But there's something, and I'm not even sure I could put it into words. I wish I could. But there is something that is missing. The ultimate purpose cannot be accomplished, even for tefillin and even for tzitzis and even for Shabbos and kashras and nida. The ultimate kiyum, the ultimate accomplishment, the ultimate spiritual benefit of all of those things is dafka in Eretz Yisrael. Is it obligatory? It's not just a tea party. It's not just a Shabbos Abba and a Shabbos Ima. It is more meaningful than that. Again, for the maral, it sound, really sounds like it is. But I don't think that's the majority view. I think there's clearly a bonus. Even though maral says you have to do it. But he just says you have to like practice. But here I think they're saying, again, I, I, I'm reading into this. And again, it'll be, I think, putressed by some other sources in a moment. But I think what they're saying is not that it's meaningless and it's just a game. It's just acting. Of course there's meaning to the mitzvahs. Even when you're living in Miami or wherever. But it's not the ikker. There's something about mitzvos, metaphysically, maybe in ways we can understand, maybe in ways we can't understand, but there's something about mitzvos, even the non-soil-based ones, which the ultimate expression of, the ultimate kiyom of, is only when you are in Eretz Yisrael. I don't know how, how widespread this is, uh, but just as one example, just to give you an illustration of this, um, Rav Lichtenstein told over that as far as he knows where Hutner, if it worked out well in terms of the timing of his flights, so Hutner was the Rashiva of Chaim Berlin, that if he flew you know, on a day where he landed on the same calendar day as he had flown, even though he had put on tefillin in New York, if it wasn't yet dark when he landed in Israel, he put on tefillin again. Because Anna Doma, the tefillin in New York, to the tefillin in Eretz Yisrael. I don't know if that's a widespread uh, practice of Agdola Yisrael, but that's an expression of this idea. I don't think that Rav Hutner thought there was no point of his tefillin in New York. But there is something missing. And that goes back to the Medrash. Okay, let's uh, help the, the Zoom people. Okay, we're back on the Zoom. Okay, so now, this idea, which as I say, I think is already indicated, although, again, I have to, you have to read into it a little bit, in the Rebbein Abachai and the Rajbah, I think it finds some really interesting expression in a number of the achronim, including some very surprising. Um, again, I try not to be too political uh, on, on these kind of things. I try to keep the you know the politics out of the halacha, certainly, but even after the or even out of the uh, if I can. But here uh, I'll indulge a little bit uh, and say as follows: the nitziv in source number fifteen, you know, in the in the pre or modern era, you know, was associated with what's called the chovet Zion movement. I don't know if it's fair to say he was a religious Zionist, where we mean it in the modern sense, but very close. He was very much supportive of that. So perhaps, perhaps one would say it's not completely um, you know, surprising that the Nitziv says something very similar to this. Um, I found this in his Haskama to the work of the Chavetz Chaim. Isn't that interesting? If you're the Chavetz, you know, you, you want to get a Haskama from the Chavetz Chaim, but if you're the Chavetz Chaim, where do you go? So an older colleague of his was the Nitziv. And the Chavetz Chaim, of course, uh, you know, uh, Wrote the Mishnah Brura, but none of those were his actual name. I've said that joke many times. You know, that's not what his mother called him, but he didn't clean up the, you know, the, you know, pick up the clothes on the floor. You know, Yisrael, Yisrael Meirle. Uh, but he wrote the Chavetz Chaim, he wrote the Mishnah Brura. Those are his two most famous works. He wrote many, many books. And probably his third most famous book was all about Chesed. And that's a sefer called Ahavas Chesed. And he asked the Nitziv of Elohim for a 
a endorsement for a haskama. And the Nitziv didn't just write, like they usually write, I didn't have a chance to read your book, but you're a good guy, uh, so everyone should buy your book, or something like that. Um, he actually read the book, and he then wrote a whole commentary on his own. It's like a philosophical endorsement. And I, I, in different shurim, I've used this piece. But in our particular purpose here, he specifically makes the point that every mitzvah, even the mitzvah that have obvious rationale, what we call the mishpatim, or the mitzvahs sichlios, the more obvious intuitive mitzvahs, not the chukim like kashros or shatnes or things like that. He says, but every mitzvah has a dimension of a chok. There's a dimension of every mitzvah in which we don't really truly understand. Don't think even in certain mitzvahs, you fully understand why kibar aveim. You fully understand why not to steal. You fully, every mitzvah, he says, has a dimension um, specifically of chok. And he specifically c- connects that to the pasuk about kibar aveim which promises the reward of long life. But it doesn't just promise the reward of long life if you honor your parents. Specifically, you have long life in Israel. What does long life have to do as a reward for only in Israel? If I do keep it up, I get that reward. So he explains that it's true. The part of a mitzvah which is intuitive and rational, again, let's use keep it up as the example, so that benefit that you get, you become, you know, if you, let's just put it in the negative, if you weren't respectful to your parents, and what that would mean, what would that would do to you as a person, what that would say about you as a person, and therefore on the flip side, if you are respectful and honoring your parents, what that means and what that does to you as being an ethical, kind, normal, sensitive human being, that benefit is true wherever you live. But then there's that space. I don't know how big it is, but there's that space. In every mitzvah, including keep out of aim, which is not the obvious intuitive part that we all understand. There's some chok, there's some mysterious benefit, metaphysical, spiritual reward for every mitzvah, including the things we think we understand. There's a part we don't understand. That part, the chok part, the mysterious part, is only in Eretz Yisrael. So the intuitive part, the extent that we think we understand Kibbutz Avim, so there's no reason to do Kibbutz Avim any more in Beit Shemesh than in Boston. All the hakarta tov and all the normal reasons we think of and associate with kibbutz avim, but that mysterious spiritual secret that's uniquely accessible, whether you realize it or not, only if you're in Israel. And therefore, in order to indicate that, says the Nitziv, the Torah limits the ult- that ultimate reward of keeping kibbutz avim is to those who do it in Eretz Yisrael, because they're not just getting the bottom basic level; they're also getting that additional. Chok level, the super secret, uh, incredible part. And after all of that, take a look, uh, three lines from the bottom of source number 15, where it's double underlined. I had a lot of fun with Microsoft Word yesterday. All the other mitzvahs, even the ones that really are applicable and are obligatory in the diaspora, like Kibar Aveim and all those others. What is his line? There's something special about them even in Israel. Even those mitzvos. They have nothing to do with the soil. What was the line? And therefore there's more reward for them. Again, to me, looks very, very similar to what I was reading into, what I think Rabbein Bachaye and the Rajbo was saying. Are you obligated? Yes. Is there meaning outside of Israel? Yes. But not ultimate meaning. The ultimate meaning of all the mitzvot is only in Eretz Yisrael.
Somewhat more surprising, I want to do the next three sources, in that sense makes them more powerful. Rabbi Hanan Wasserman, in source number 16, was not someone who was in any way uh, associated uh, with the, the modern you know, Zionist movement. Rabbi Hanan, you know, lived into the middle of the 20th century, was killed at Kedush Hashem by the Nazis. And in a halachic context, he quotes source number 16, he quotes the Ramban, you know, so he made it famous in the name of the Ramban, uh, and the Sifrei. Um, and he says there, right away, double underline, Ikra mitzvos, Yoshim Barak Yisrael. Again, like the Rabbeinu B'chai, that Loshim's reading the Ramban, okay, which I'm reading into, not that there's no purpose, not that it's just playing Shabbos Abba and Shabbos Ima, but that the main ultimate fulfillment of mitzvahs is in Eretz Yisrael. But he specifically uh, explains it in a very meaningful way based on a comment of the Masil Yisharim. Masil Yisharim says that every mitzvah has two benefits. There's the quote-unquote Tom, the reason of the mitzvah. Now, I'm adding here, but I think this is clearly what he means. Sometimes the reason is accessible to us. Don't steal, don't kill, things like that. And sometimes the reason is a mystery to us. Kilayim and shatnas and things like that. But there is some reason. We don't believe that God arbitrarily required us to do these 613 things. Sometimes we figure out, we think we know what God meant. Sometimes we know we have no idea what God meant. But there is a reason for all the mitzvahs. But in addition to that, there's what he refers to as Achrishin Stavinu Tzorach Lekayim Tzivu Hashem. Or as what we sometimes say when we're frustrated parents and our kids aren't listening to us, because I said so. Now, free advice, if that's the first thing you say to your kids, that's not good parenting. But like the eighth time that they didn't listen, then you're allowed to say, because I said so. Okay? So, says the Mesil Sisharim, this is the Mesil Sisharim, not Rabbi Khan, this is hundreds of years old, classic Jewish uh, hashkafa. He says, every mitzvah has two, right? there's the reason. But in addition to the reason, there's the very fact that God said so. That's also, should be in and of itself, a good enough reason. Says the Kovet Shurim, in light of that, where it's double underlined, that's all true in Eretz Yisrael. You have the two dimensions. But when it comes to Chutzlar, it's outside of Israel. Says the ultimate reasons for the mitzvos, why did God command? Which I think he really means the same thing as the Nitziv said, the benefit of the mitzvot? Limited to Eretz Yisrael. Are you obligated in Brooklyn? Of course. Of course there's a chiyuv. And again, I'm adding, I can't say for sure he would agree with this, but I think he would. Is there some benefit? Is there some meaning? Of course there is also. I don't think people, I'm not one of these people who thinks everyone outside of Israel lives meaningless lives. I, I, really, I really don't believe that. I mean, more, more times I go there, the more I think that the numbers are increasing. But that's a separate point. Um... <laughs> But it's not like everyone in this country is, lives the most meaningful life. Obviously, we all have work to do on that. Uh, and I do think that, I, I didn't think I had a meaningless life until I met Aliyah. I thought uh, Pesach was beautiful in Chutzlarts too. It's not, only, it's not only beautiful here. And Rosh Hashanah was beautiful there. And Katras and Shabbos were beautiful there too. But there's some dimension, which we don't necessarily fully appreciate, even about those mitzvos, which is not just more beautiful here, but in a, up in Hashem's scorecard, which we don't really understand, it's more important. It's more valuable there's a greater cue. Again, in terms of stereotypical surprise, source number 17. Someone else who says the same idea, the Chassam Sofer. Again, the Chassam Sofer was living, you know, before modern Zionism and the like. But again, when we think of the Chassam Sofer, Chadash Asr Torah, and he's like intellectual and spiritual inspiration for some of the more extreme views, you know, in contemporary Judaism, which again, they're not our topic at all. But, you know, he's the Chassam Sofer. Just to show you why political stereotypes are so 
damaging when it comes to genuine Torah, because even though that may all be true about the Chasim Sofer, there are many sources, I'm only giving you one, but there are many sources in the writings of the Chasim Sofer which express a love and an appreciation for Eretz Yisrael that Halavai any of us could have. Halavai we'd be on that level. So this idea that somehow, you know, either you're a card-carrying member of political party X or you don't love Eretz Yisrael, it was never true, and it's, the Chasim Sofer is a good example of that damaging stereotype. But since we do come with the lazy stereotypes that we do, we can be therefore somewhat surprised, even though we shouldn't have been, at the beautiful language of the Chasim Sofer here. I don't have time, because again, I want to make sure we finish uh, in time for the siren, but I don't want to read the whole thing and really break it down for you. But it's this very beautiful and creative drush of the well-known Pasuk in Tehillim, which we're familiar with, Lule Hamanti Lurus Batuv Hashem Hachayim. So he basically analyzes this and says there's two categories here. There's seeing the tuv of Hashem, the kindness of God, which he thinks alludes to the reward that we get from Mitzvot, and the ultimate reward being in Olam Haba. He says, even if I wouldn't ever see God's ultimate reward for my Mitzvot, even if I wouldn't even believe that there's some ultimate reward for my Mitzvot, he thinks there's a second category called, I experience God, Be'eretz HaChayim. And what is the Eretz HaChayim, the land of the living? Specifically, Eretz Yisrael. Now, what does he do with that? So, look what he says. Second line, Hakavana ki ein. Again, similar language. We keep on seeing the same language repeated. Ein ikur kiyam haTorah vaMitzvos elab Eretz Hachaim ki Eretz Yisrael. He's writing this from Pressburg. He didn't live in Eretz Yisrael, but that didn't blind him to the truth. He was honest about it. The main purpose of the mitzvos is not in Germany where he grew up, not in Hungary where he was a great rav. And not in Baranovich where Rabbi was, not in Volozhin where the Nitziv was. The main purpose of the mitzvah is in Eretz HaChayim, which is Eretz Yisrael. And then he has this great line, the second part where I have it underlined. Even if we're not Zochet to all the reward, Hashem promises us all this great reward, even if we wouldn't get that. We'd still be happy. If we just had this chus, La'avod es Hashem Eretz Yisrael. I feel a tashlum. The, the ability to live in Eretz Yisrael and do mitzvot, even if we wouldn't be rewarded. Kimatov Misa. What could be better than that? Could a card-carrying member of uh, the religious Zionist movement say it any better? Well, who needs reward? I'm going to live in Eretz Yisrael and do mitzvot. I get to have a Shabbos in Eretz Yisrael. I get to actually experience Shemitah, even if it's not ideally the way Shemitah is supposed to be, but some form of a Shemitah. Etc., etc. Matov Mizel. What could be better than that? Again, he's not saying you're not obligated in Pressburg. He's not saying there's no meaning in Pressburg. But he wouldn't have said this about that. What he says, Matov Mizel, that's about doing mitzvah in Eretz Yisrael. And last but not least, and here I think we have a right to be surprised, even though again it's all a mistake. How could I end with anything other than the Satmarov? <laughs> Yes, yes, the Satmarov hated Zionism and he hated the state of Israel. And boy, would he hate Yom Atzmut. <laughs> but he did love Eretz Yisrael. Absolutely. And he did not deny the truth of everything we've been saying. And sure enough, in his famous work of Ayoyal Moshe, all about how horrible the Zionists are and how horrible the modern Zionism in the modern state of Israel is, yes, 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 and all that, nevertheless, he says, you could get into all pul 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 and is there a mitzvah to live in Eretz Yisrael now? Is there not a mitzvah? Says, and he has opinions on that, obviously. But nevertheless, he says, even if you think that there's no mitzvah to live in Eretz Yisrael nowadays without a Beis HaMikdash and without Mashiach and whatever, 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 even so, second line, aval kol ha-Torah v'ha-mitzvah she'osa b'Eretz Yisrael chashuva har be yoser b'kiflayim 
every mitzvah, tefillin and kashras and mezuzah and all and Shabbos and all mitzvos are significantly, significantly by some multiple more important and more meaningful. If you do them in the land of Israel. Exactly what we said before when we were reading the Rashba. That is to say, it's not the idea that if you put Israel on the one side, and you know, in Zionism, if you will, and 612 mitzvos, that's how important Israel is, it's equal. Not what he's saying. He's saying the reason that Chazal say that Israel living in Eretz Yisrael is equal to other mitzvos is because it's not just you get that one mitzvah called living in Eretz Yisrael. By getting the one mitzvah of living in Eretz Yisrael, your other 612 mitzvos are also qualitatively better than if you weren't living in Eretz Yisrael. We saw that previously, but here you have the, the, the Satmar Rav saying it explicitly. Again, who could say it better than this? Every single mitzvah you do in the land of Israel, chashuva harbi yoser b'kiflayim. Now what he adds, and this is clearly something that I think we all would agree to, and we all should be aware of, frankly, we forget this, but we have to not forget it, and clearly it was a very animating position for him, and with this he concludes, is listen, even though he says that, you have to realize that the opposite is also true. If there's something inherently superior and ultimately more meaningful about doing mitzvot in Eretz Yisrael, then there's something far more damaging and far more destructive about sinning in Eretz Yisrael. Now again, parentheses, since he thought, like everyone here was sinning in so many ways, he thought, not good to be here for the most part. Okay, that's, but even if you don't go as far as him, I think what he's saying is absolutely true. But this is the famous idea, you know, Rabbi Leff had that book 30 or 40 years ago, people saw it in yeshiva or in seminary to dwell in the palace, right? This is the metaphor he's using now. When you're in the palace of the king, to not listen to, to, not listen to the king when you're in some village somewhere is one thing. But to not listen to the king in his own palace? Right? It's a pachin putim. Right? It's a slap in the face. And he says, just like Chazal say, if you keep the mitzvahs when you're in Eretz Yisrael, it's as if you kept the whole Torah. If you violate the mitzvahs in Eretz Yisrael, it's as if you rejected the whole Torah. Everything is supercharged here. The responsibility and the reward. And as we've all tried to teach our children, you don't get one without the other. You can't just get the reward without the responsibility. And I would say to someone who's thinking of living here, you have to really think about this. There's a hundred other things to think about. But you have to realize, yes, your life will be more meaningful in ways that I could explain to you. And certainly today and tomorrow, you can't even compare what it means to be in Israel for Yom HaZikaron, Yom HaTzmut, and to be anywhere else. But it's also true about Pesach, it's also true about Shoshanah, it's also true about Hanukkah. Right? You can't compare the experience in Israel to anywhere else. I could explain that to somebody. You know, I don't work for Nefesh for Nefesh, but I could. Right? I can explain why that's meaningful. But, but as we've seen in all these Makaros, there's all sorts of things which I can't explain. From the Rashi and the Ramban and the, and the, and the Sifrei and Rashbon and Rabbeinu and all the Achronim. Again, we, I, I don't want to go through it all now, but we saw, I tried to highlight for you each one of the different sources we saw. Each one with their own formulation, each one more beautiful and more powerful than the other, each in a slightly different way, but each all saying the same thing. That the ultimate kiyom, in ways that we didn't always understand, somewhere up in the mysteries of Shemayim, the ultimate kiyom of every mitzvah, is in Eretz Yisrael. And that is unbelievable zchus that we all have. But every zchus, every benefit, every uh, chance we get, comes with responsibility. Right? The stakes are higher here. And that's something, you know, if a person's not ready to accept both sides of the coin, then you shouldn't come. Because whether you want it or not, it's true. So you should at least be aware of it and make a conscious decision 
You know, if a person's not going to put on tefillin, God forbid, a man doesn't put on tefillin. It's one thing you have to do it in New York, but to not do it here, to not keep Shabbos, to not keep Nida here, completely different. So I'd rather end where we started, which is on a more positive note, which is the zchus of living in Eretz Yisrael is not only the benefits that we see, and the fact that we can Shemitah and other things like that, but things which we never would have imagined that are better here, it gives us all the reason to have greater Hakar Satov, and however it is that you and, you, you, that you and your family celebrate uh, the next day or so, that should not change one whit everything that we said here. So for those who appreciate it, Chag Sameach. Okay.